that's not going to be my mentality when I run my store because I don't want people to ever feel like they're a number. They have to be an individual. And uh, that is a huge part of, of what we do. It's all about the relationship. So if, if, my, if the people that work here feel that way, again, because it's genuine, they will treat the customer in the same manner because they genuinely care. They don't want some customer coming through the door yelling at them for something else. Uh, we don't high-five due to a large profit. We high-five when you get the great Google review. If you are an irrigation professional, old or new, who designs, installs, or maintains high-end residential, commercial, or municipal properties, and you want to use technology to improve your business, to get a leg up on your competition, even if you're an old-school irrigator from the days of hydraulic systems, this show is for you. All right, welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Sprinkler Nerd Show. I'm joined today by my, I should say, longtime friend, Dennis Roberts, owner of Hillsboro Ford in New Hampshire. And Dennis is a class, coming from the class of 1997, Holderness School in Plymouth, New Hampshire. He and I, both graduates, 1997. We spent four, actually, I was only there for three years, uh, but we spent a number of years together living in dorms in the little small town of Plymouth, New Hampshire. And I don't know why, but Dennis started to become a listener of the Sprinkler Nerd Show. He'll have to tell us about that later. And he reached out to me, and, and we kind of synced back up. And you know, one thing led to another, and we said, you know what? Let's record a podcast and let's talk about uh, the current, you know, car and truck indus dealer industry, what it's like to buy a vehicle today, how contractors can set themselves up uh, in a positive position to acquire a new work vehicle. So I think we're going to have a fun discussion today. I know I'm going to learn a lot, and uh, I want to welcome Dennis Roberts to the Sprinkler Nerd Show. Welcome, Dennis. Yeah, thank you very much, Andy. It's uh. It's crazy to think it's been what? So we have our reunion 25, 25 years. Just, uh, you know, as I see the shine of the fluorescent light off the top of my head, reminds me too, the lack of hair uh, is, is, is there. It's real. Yeah. 25 years out of high school makes me feel like my parents. <laughs> yeah. It's real. It's, uh, it's there. And, you know, actually my son is there now, so that even puts it into more of a perspective, uh, uh, that's just, just beyond yeah. words. Yeah. Time flies. And the good news is, you know, you're the pilot. We're the pilot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's nice. It's actually, a, it's a good place to be in too. I think as we get into our, our early mid forties, it's uh, a time where you feel like you've had enough time to get some, some ground underneath you to create a solid base. You feel like you have enough knowledge to uh, feel like you can chase some things and try some new things and um, and be able to monitor it and see if, if those changes are good or bad and you're not going to fail from it. Uh, so that's what makes it, I, I don't know, it's a, it's a good time too, 25 years after graduation. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think we're both probably in the sweet spots of our careers. I didn't know that I might become somebody called the Sprinkler Nerd and have a podcast and be doing e-commerce and sort of, uh, you know, reshaping my industry a little bit. But um, here we are. So let's start. I'm going to ask you a question because I feel like historically buying a vehicle, whether it's for personal use or a work truck, new, used, and or other private party dealer, whatever, there is a lot of like anxiety that goes into buying a vehicle 
And I feel like dealers often get either get or have a bad reputation. And I'd like to kind of understand why, you know, from the dealer's perspective, what do the bad dealers do? How do they operate that just gives everyone this sort of bad reputation? So franchise dealers are, um, you know, you can look at people like Tesla, right? They're trying to, they try to have no dealers. Uh, the franchise dealer system is, it's all individuals um, that own the franchises. Now you can see bigger companies and big groups starting to buy out a lot of dealerships. In this past year, dealerships have been sold at the highest rate ever in history. And that's something that's different as well. So that means it's becoming more corporate some areas. So for me personally, being in a small town in Hillsborough, New Hampshire, we have a Jeep store as well with Ram, Ram trucks. And we're in a town of 6,000 people. So for me, the way I've always described it is I have to perform differently than, than those other dealerships. You know, I go and 15 years ago, it was a time where I'd bring my kids to the grocery store, push through the, uh, the, the aisles and we'd see other people that we know, other customers and, I wanted to make sure that I had always put my best foot forward in terms of our business. And that's kind of the way as a customer, you want to make sure you're going to a dealership that cares or that at least you're dealing with a salesperson that that has uh, that power to help you through your processes and actually listening to you. When you need a vehicle or a truck that has certain needs, somebody who's taken their career seriously, because otherwise you're going to have to push for that sale and push for whatever product you think you want. But if you can get to, so for ourselves, we install dump bodies, we install uh, flatbeds and other truck equipment. So we do truck equipment, snow plows, because we're in New Hampshire. Uh, so we've specialized in a lot of that type of, uh, of, of work. And we understand what a customer needs, we'll make recommendations, and then they can tell us, hey, no, we don't want this or we do want that. But in so many stores, it's all about the money. It's all about you as a number, the volume of people that go through the revolving door, closing rates, percentages, and I like all that stuff. I like to nerd out mm. on some of those numbers and try to figure some things out. But at the end of the day, it's relationship-based, and it's no different than the business we're selling to for the most part. You know, like They're in the same business we are. They just sell something different. Mm -hmm. It's about finding the right people to work with, and in many cases, it seems like a lot of people have a hard time finding that in the car business. Yeah, I like what you said about, because I think that is true, that dealerships see people as a number. How many people drive by? How many people pull into the lot? How many people come into the building? How many people meet with the salesperson? And then what is the close rate on them? And then how do you close? Well, probably the best way is try to sell something that you have on hand. And so instead of decide, you know helping the customer buy what they want, they're just trying to sell what they have. Yeah. And in the world of a business, you can't tell a business owner, you know, it's one thing to take somebody and say, okay, well, I got an ex explorer. I'm going to move them to the expedition. It's a bigger SUV or, or whatnot. But in the world of a truck, you can't just take somebody and say, no, no, the Echo Sport small little SUV will do fine for you. You don't need that transit van that you're, you're looking for. So it doesn't quite work that way. And, um, those people can feel what you're doing and I, I call it, they can smell that, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, in terms of that smell test, it's like, Hey, yeah, no, this guy doesn't really know what I want. Or if they do, they don't care. Right. You know, one of those two things and either way it's bad. So we don't do that. We, we are very much focused on the customer, the long-term relationship, uh, that local 
that local feeling because it's real. It, it's it's just genuine, and and that's who I hire when I hire salespeople. I hire people that many times aren't in the business because I don't want the bad habits. I don't want what they've learned at the big stores, or unless they're coming from certain stores. And I say big stores. I don't want to say it's all bad because there are good operators out there that do genuinely care. And as they grow, it's just harder to operate with mm-hmm. more people. Um, and when you had mentioned about the numbers and people are numbers. One important thing is is the is the company itself treating the employees like their numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, one one time at uh, it was Christmas. You know, I, I'll buy some some stuff for some people around here just to help the the job go easier for them. And one thing is a tape measure for for all the salespeople. And and it just happened to be that one year. And and, um, and, and it was one item of many. It wasn't mm-hmm. just tape measures that we buy for, for our people. They're gold-plated uh, tape measures. But though. we uh, forgot to say that. Yes, yeah. They're very fancy. Oh, nice. Here's your retirement gift. Um, so we gave them all that. And I at first started to write a number on it, like number one, number two, number three. So they'd remember whose one it went to which desk. And I said, if I ever – I got wiped off the number and said, if I ever start numbering anything, it's time for me mm-hmm. to be done. Because that's not going to be my mentality when I run my store. Um, because I don't want people to ever feel like they're a number. They have to be an individual. And uh, that is a huge part of, of what we do. It's all about the relationship. So if, if, my, if the people that work here feel that way, again, because it's genuine, they will treat the customer in the same manner um, because they genuinely care. They don't want some customer coming through the door yelling at them for something else. Uh, we don't high-five due to a large profit we high five when you get the great google review you know right. so that's yeah uh, the um you know one of my business coaches and mentors george bryant you know his sort of famous quote is that relationships beat algorithms yes 100 percent. that's 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 a case yeah, I like write that. that one down <laughs> yeah i do i you know it's uh it's funny because that's and that's what led me you know when you're talking about the podcast thing is Obviously, at first, it was just because I knew you. But the second thing was, uh, it's another industry, and we all share so many of the same things. You know, I can hear certain similarities between when you're trying to take care of a customer or solve a customer's problem and and maybe sometimes something very specific in what you're doing that gets somebody to a uh, to a place to better understand what they need to fix first or, or whatnot. But a lot of it has to do with the just straight up building those relationships mm-hmm. and, and getting to know people and understand their problems and connecting with them. And then they just don't call or go anywhere else because you're not going to jerk them around. And, you know, I like what you said there about seeing uh, over similar over, overlaps in different industries. And oftentimes in the lawn and landscape and irrigation industry, the salesperson might be involved if it's a new construction design, you know, build out of a back patio pool, front landscaping, et cetera. But for all, for most or all of the service type projects, the, you know, field tech, if it's irrigation specific, the technician really is the, if you want to call them that, the salesperson. They're the one that meets with the customer, whether it's a commercial or residential, and has to, you know, tell them, here's what isn't working. And here's what we need to do to fix it. And maybe there's this other opportunity to enhance the your system or your landscape, but it doesn't always come from a, you know, quote unquote salesperson. It comes right up from the field level. Yeah. And and I would imagine too, when you're in those scenarios is, you know, but the strongest closing tool if you were to building a new system would be to walk out in the yard and say, okay, so 
what we what are you planning to do out here? You know, do they just want green grass, or do they, or, you know, or do they want a, you know, what do they envision for the property to be used as? And when you create that that vision, that's what's going to get them excited, and then create you know a plan and want to work with you because you may now because you listened and hopefully absorbed what they said uh, and, and respond back to them and acknowledge what they're trying to talk about, and you make product recommendations based off of how they're going to use it they're going to say, well, that's great. That's exactly what I want. I'm going with that person because even if they're more money, they understand uh, what I'm looking for they, or what they I'm They know what they're talking about. There's some level of trust, authority, you know, in, involved. And I was just thinking that I had a thought in my own head about when someone comes to my house to fix something and whatever that is, is broken. I really like it when they say, you know, whether it's Mr. Humphrey or Andy, hey, come take a look at this. Let me show you what is not working correctly. And that right there is sort of like, oh, I trust this guy. He's not making anything up. He's showing me what's broken. He knows how to fix it. Yeah, definitely. Go ahead, fix it. And I've never had that experience at a car dealer. Typically, there's someone at the counter that's like, thinking. well, the service tech wants to do this and it's going to be this X amount of money and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just thinking, really cool, take me to my car, show me, <laughs> now I trust you, go ahead and fix it. So after we had graduated from high school there, I worked at the service counter. And um, it's funny that you mentioned that because I'd have customers come in and say, my mechanic this, my mechanic that. I'm thinking, why do these people have my mechanics? Because obviously, I, you know, I'm, I'm younger, so I don't understand. I'm looking at it as totally green and saying, uh, why aren't we their mechanic? You know, and... So what I found out is sometimes these people are going to people that don't – they're not as skilled as some of the people that we have here, especially towards their product. And that's actually why their mechanics sent them here because they don't actually want to do this hard work that's way harder to diagnose or get to or have the tools to get there. And uh, and they couldn't do it in the time frame that we can actually get it done, but they'll present the dealership as more expensive or a certain – whatnot. But in, in reality, mm -hmm. sometimes we find that we're quicker uh, to get things done. But the dealerships don't build relationships out there for the most part. So what I started was a process where we take the customer. If the customer wants to see what's going on, we have the technician. They can come out and, and take the customer out back. And we have certain technicians that don't even see the service advisor. They walk past the service advisor and say, hey, is uh, Mr. Humphrey out, out in the waiting room? Yes, he's right there. He's in the green shirt or, or whatnot. And um, They'll go out and grab the customer and say, do you want to take a look at this? Walk them out there and show them exactly what's going on with the car because I found that's what made a loyal customer because now they knew even though our technicians were always honest and they're always doing the right thing, it wasn't until we really started pushing that aspect that it was, again, building a relationship. It's the same as a sales process and you're still selling a repair very much the same thing in, in building that, that sense of trust was, was huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. So guys, if you're listening and, and maybe you already do this and maybe this won't work, but just an idea, if the customer's there, residential or commercial, take them out and show them something, you know, that'll only build the relationship and build your authority and, and your trust and uh, see what happens. Yeah, it's very much so in, in a lot of, even Ford doesn't recognize that, you know. So when we were remodeling our showroom because we have to look like that new, new Ford look, and it's not anything against Ford, they just don't know. They had a division. We had it always so our service techs will come in through the back door of the service writing area, 
and they're behind the service advisors and they can fill out their paperwork right there. Other dealerships will do that in the shop or they do it at their toolbox or some spot like that. So where we would see that as the opportunity is many times a customer would be talking to the advisor and the technician could be there and they'd overhear something and can help out right then and there, even if it was somebody else working on their vehicle. So those types of things were the best setup we had. So when they had the remodeling plan, their remodeling plan included a wall to separate the technicians. And I said, that's, you know, that we just can't do that. And we have to meet their guidelines or their, their expectations. They were fine with us not putting the wall there. But it took an explanation to say this is why we don't want a wall there. And uh, it's interesting because they don't – just people have forgotten about relationships so much yeah. as, as these companies get bigger. And again, that's why I look at it and say us – you know, some of us um, – I don't want to say smaller guys because we're we do a lot of commercial business. But we carry the small town mentality and try to do more business. And uh, when somebody ends up in a bad situation, mm-hmm. they'll leave me a voicemail. You know, can you help me out? And then I go downstairs and I start talking to the technician, the service advisor, or a salesperson. If it's a sales-related item, we're going to try to chase it down because at the end of the day, I know I've done nothing so bad Mm -hmm. that it's like I I blew up somebody's car. Yeah, it's an interesting concept with Ford's layout because they're not wrong. If you're trying to build – I don't know how many franchises they have, thousands probably. So on the large scale – probably the majority aren't set up to have to do what you do. So they basically made it dummy proof. But I think by you taking that down and making it more adding the human element, that's, that's big time. Yeah. And um, I'm sure, you know, the parallels would be, I'm sure there's uh, companies involved with, with the business that you're in that are huge. And there's some that are uh, single Mm -hmm. person operations or maybe some families or just a couple of, of people in there. And when they do that, they are um, they know the difference between the hiring process maybe at the bigger companies where right now, especially, they're scrounging to find people that might be able to have some level of experience to understand how to fix a problem versus mm-hmm. just throw parts at it or what it might be. So for me, I know that we have a good group of people that understand what's happening and can communicate with a customer and most likely be correct. And if you have those tools in your workforce, use them because it's huge. Again, it's that relationship building tool that you have that, you know, if you're a small guy, it gives you a big piece of leverage against some of the the, the bigger places because you build a much more loyal customer. And it's not because you're really that great. You're just being straightforward and honest. And that's exactly how the small, when I say my, my mechanic, that's exactly how that person was making it as a single man shop before was just building those relationships and that connection. And, and, and really anybody can do that. It's just empowering your people. So to a dealer, the customer is just a number. But if you take a large franchise um, lawn maintenance company, national large lawn franchise maintenance company, they could be, if they're not careful, just a number to the homeowner, meaning the lowest price, you know, weed and feed guy out there. But the owner operator, smaller company can be more than just the the estimate, more than just the invoice, more than the number. I, I would ask how many customers of, of, I can say from my business, I've never had a customer come back to me and say a year later, Hey Dennis, I'm you know I'm the guy that bought the ninety nine dollar a month payment truck, and that was the best thing I ever did. Never, not once. Most people don't even remember the payment. They don't remember what they paid for the truck or the car. What they remember is they say see me and they say, you know what? 
Mark was great. You know, Joe was great. They'll give me a name and then they'll tell me something that they did that em- employee had accomplished. So there's a, you know, really the price is, it's, it is important, don't get me wrong, because they need to know they're being treated right and, and fairly on the price. But at, at the same time, it's, it's the service, it's remembering the people that they, they dealt with. That's the most important part that you can invest any of your time, money, and effort into. The people, man, it's all about the people. Cool. All right. Well, I'd like to ask you a yep. question and you can, maybe you don't have to actually share that the details, but I'd like to know on a big picture, sort of speak, how does a dealer make their money? Okay. So th- it can vary a lot because there's a lot of different ways, right? You know, three years ago, I would never imagine the position that we're in now um, with, you know, I've got 17 units on the ground where normally we would have 70 at our Ford store and then we'd have another same amount at the Chrysler store the Jeep Jeep and Ram store as well and now we have you know 17-ish on the ground we're selling orders and, and those things so everything varies you know as a as a dealership they try to say want to try to cover a lot of your fixed expenses uh, with with your service parts we have a body shop as well and install the bodies you want to try to cover as much of your general expenses as possible um, through those departments because uh, the manufacturer even looks at, at as your service department as a consistent mm-hmm. source of mm-hmm. revenue because people's cars are always going to break no matter what, no matter what brand. On the flip side, the variable is sales because sales could just be dead. If fuel goes to $10 a gallon, yes, they might not drive as much, they might not break their car as much, but it's there's still going to be some of that. They just might not go out and take on a new payment for an expensive car or uh, truck values could go get thrown way off because of uh, a scenario like that. So, and I've seen that before. Um, so typically it's service and parts is your kind of baseline and the sales should be additional uh, to that. Um, today it's much different because our, our service body shop, and just like most people who are in construction and, and all those things, they're Everybody's very busy right now uh, in general, which is good. On the sales side, it, it's it just the industry has changed so much. So we're, you know, we're not selling over MSRP, but other dealerships are. And, and that income a lot of times comes from sales. So with sales, a lot of dealerships look at that as their primary source of income because really your service and parts body shop will be the baseline and then your your sales is extra and sales can can be infinite it's just mm-hmm. not infinite when you have 17 units on the ground but when you had the 80 and you could order as many as you want you could just uh, turn and earn and sell and sell and sell and the manufacturer give you more and more and more and and keep going where today now it's about us trying to drive for the the orders from customers more so even than selling from in stock because I can't get stock units very well and it's more so that they want customers to come in order them prioritize the the order over the the stock sale Mm -hmm. yeah and there's again looking at the parallel to the landscape industry typically you'll have three types of contractors new construction only residential commercial etc service only or the hybrid that do new construction and service which might be how you said sales and service and Yes. You know, yeah. the sales and the construction is going to be ec- economically dependent, but the service is always there. So the more you start to talk with 
uh, contractors that have been in the business a long time, a lot of them move towards service over time and build up a large client base and have that reoccurring um, business year after year after year. And then the sales is sort of that kicker, if you will. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's the same, same, same uh, philosophy for sure. Yeah. Um, so you had kind of a, a segue into, you know, 70 or more cars on the lot historically now in this economy, you know, 17 cars on the lot. Can you tell us a little bit about the current industry, the current, what's the shape of the, of the car, uh, and dealership industry? Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, right now it's much easier. And this is kind of what I was thinking about for the podcast and for some of the folks that, that listen, that are buying vehicles out there is, is to try to be ahead of it. Don't wait till your, until your car blows up, you know, to, to make a you know, trade it in. And, and if you can, if you're getting close, uh, to order something is the best way to go right now. So our industry is really changing towards an order based system. Now, so we, like we were talking about, we've been doing, you know, out of high school for 25 years, right? So we've seen a lot of waves come and go. This wave could go as well when microchips are starting to be made again and products are available. Um, but I don't see, I don't see that at least within the next year and a half or so maybe a year, but you know, I'm thinking it's probably middle of 2023. We'll start to see some product come back to a normalcy. That's uh that's like the old way we used to do business and to order is going to be your best way to ensure that the manufacturer sees that your, your ordered vehicle is a real vehicle to be ordered, to be used by a customer as soon as it's built by the factory, sent to the dealer and, and put on the road. So um, that's the best way to potentially save yourself some money, some time, and get the most out of your trade-in right now because we don't have any used cars on the lot for the most part as well because they, the pricing has gone up so much So, um, and little availability as well. They haven't made as many vehicles for the past year, so the, the rental fleets that used to also provide us some of mm-hmm. our near-new pre-owned vehicles don't exist either. So if you if somebody bought a truck three years ago, they're in really good shape to to make a trade in now. And even though there's no incentives on the new ones, the value that their trade in has increased is still more than what rebates used to be. So you, your bottom line is still a better deal. So if you go to somebody reputable um, that isn't out there to take advantage of you, and you know what your you know what you would like to get for your trade in, and and you can get a uh, an honest feel for what that is. Uh, and you feel comfortable with it, then now's the time to do it for sure. Got it. Yeah, I like what you were saying about sort of the on, more on-demand or, you know, in manufacturing terms, just in time. And I had this thought of sometimes to see the difference in things, you have to really look at the extremes. So, you know, you and I sort of grew up in the internet age, if you will. Yep. Yeah, we were sort of the first, yeah, right? Perfect timing. And yeah, and I think that, Let's let's go back 50 years where there was no internet or just before the internet. I'm just thinking that the car dealer was the place where you went to learn, do your research, find what was available, and the dealer wanted to make sure you had enough selection on the lot to provide the customer with anything that they might be interested in. And now with the internet, you know, people can kind of see everything that's possible. So how could you ever carry everything on your lot that's, fe- that's that's possible. It wouldn't be possible. And so maybe we're seeing a change where they don't need to push lots and lots of inventory down to the dealers. You can, as you said, order 
and and you're the service point, the, the touch point, and then it's made on demand and delivered. So my goal now is really just to try to get people to understand like that difference that's taken place. So if they can understand that I'm going to put in my order now and um, and feel comfortable with what they're ordering because maybe they've had one before, uh, that's the best way to go for sure. And uh, you know, when you're talking about that that internet process, it's funny because when I started, it was 2001, full time, and uh, the ordering process was much different than than what it is now or how it's portrayed. Because it was always about pushing people with what's on the lot or getting it from another dealership. We could easily do that as well. Where now that's hard as well. So we would get these. Uh, you know, the customers in, we would try to, to sell them what we have. We could get as much as we want of it. And at first it would be, people would come in and say, I'm, I'm looking for a sedan or they come in, I'm looking for a minivan or maybe an SUV. And you'd show them this. And the next thing you know, they leave in something else, not because you were some great salesperson, but because the needs they had didn't actually meet what they were looking for. They just thought they wanted that. Um, then it turned into the internet came and people could see so much more information that after about six years, people would come in and they instead of driving into the front door of the showroom, they would then drive straight to a car, get out of their car and walk straight to a specific car or truck. And uh, that was a that's when things started to change because luckily I was younger, so I could figure out what was happening and say, Oh, they're they're finding specifically what vehicle they want to see online elsewhere. They're not here to window shop. They don't want to ask anything else. They say that's the car I want because I put a bunch of pictures on it, gave a good description, and made it look. Uh, it answered all their questions. There's nothing worse, right, than going to any website trying to find a tool or a an item of some sort, mm -hmm. and it has a stock generic photo or doesn't have any photo mm -hmm. at all, and it doesn't give you the description you need to to know what it is. Uh, so, so that's, that's where that internet had changed. And now we're at a point where that's temporarily, in my opinion, it's going to be a temporary thing, but that's gone. And now it's the build on the, and the manufacturer's website using that tool to build the car, look at the interior colors. What am I going to pick out and then hit the button and send the order over to the dealer or print it out and go mm -hmm. to the dealerships that you want to, to, uh, to see how they are and, and have them you know, mock build the vehicle for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I like that, you know, a customer pulls up because they, they know what they're there for. They've, they're, they're there to yeah. look at this one car and maybe that ends up to be what they buy, but maybe that isn't, they're just there and then they, they find something else along the way. Yeah. Um, let's see. I have a, a kind of a, not a random question for you, but a, a customer sort of question what is something that customers who are buying vehicles do that drives you or any car dealer bananas? When they what think they do that that there's no such thing as math. I want to be at $500 a month and a car is $70,000. I can't change math. I'm not a math magician. Um, you know, and, you know, so that's one of the toughest things. I think, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's tough because there was a point where we used to joke people would want a $1,000 car for their kid. I'd be like, okay, so you want to buy something that costs the same as a, as a phone, and you want to put your kid in, in that item, launch him down the road at 70 miles per hour that costs him the same price as an iPhone. You know, we, we, you know it's, it's just not going to be safe. It's not going to be 
reliable. And then they go get in their car and drive to a used car place, buy the car for $2,000. And it's not safe. It's not very good. And it turns into a scenario where uh, they were told how great it was. And they believe somebody else that's not being honest because they choose not to. And that's a tough thing because, uh, you know, right now there's so, and that's what gives car dealerships a bad name, right? Is that kind of scenario. And they, it's, it's not the customer's fault. I don't want to say that. It's just in those scenarios, it's just that they want to hear something so badly that they just take it and, and, you know, and that can be on a new car or in that used car type scenario as well, where that happens. And I get some people just end up in, in a tough spot too, right? They just can't afford certain things. And, and that's that's a tough situation, you know, and I'll always try to find a scenario if I can in any way possible. You know, you get some people in here and you can tell they're, they're really just in, in a tough spot and you're trying to figure out any way you can to help them out. Uh, and again, there's certain stores you can go to because they're franchised or individual owned. And, um, you know, sometimes you get really good people and sometimes you find out you get that experience where they just tell you what you want to hear. And, and, and somehow the customer has to be able to tell that difference. So at the end of the day, it's really comes down to the dealerships, but it's, it's too bad that sometimes they listen to those other stores. And so many times if somebody's leaving our store over our history, if they're leaving over a price issue, or maybe they got offered way more for their trade than, you know, and the, and the other place hadn't even looked at it yet, uh, we'll say, please still come back to us if for any reason it's different. Because at first I started to find people who would have those types of scenarios would go to the other place and they'd work out a deal that was, you know, something they could deal with. But it it's wasn't what they wanted. It wasn't what they were told. And they just supported the guy that... And they might feel like they can't come back to you because they already left. Exactly. And, and it's not about that, you know. Exactly. You know, that's the nice thing with the world of the internet. You can kind of sh- price shop different places, see what it is, and then go back to them. But at the same time, uh, for example, a dealership in Florida, they have $1,000 fees. So they look like they're $1,000 less in their price, but they have a $1,000 fee that's in the bottom line where... In the state of New Hampshire, you, you're not allowed to do that. So we don't. So you don't that. see that fee until you're like with the finance guy working out the numbers. And at that point, you've it, bought the car. You just haven't signed the paperwork. And you then know, I haven't bought a car in Florida, but I will say that I have seen it where, you know, in the small print, it will it'll list out those fees on their website. Because, you know, they'll list them somewhere. But and I'm sure all the customers after a while, they just get used to it. But it seems so strange to me. Why? I guess if everybody's doing it, they right. probably at a certain point every dealer has to do it that way because otherwise you won't look competitive. And now you're you're competing against that process that that took place. Um, so it's really just a just there's so much like that that gives us that bad name, that bad presentation. Mm. Uh, I like to do the the deal you know you got versus the one you think you got. And I'm hoping that we can always educate our customers well enough so they feel. Again, we've built that relationship with them, tried to be, well, we, we are honest with them, show them everything that we can to explain what's happening. And I think we win win more than we lose in terms of people saying, you know what, I want to deal with, with Hillsborough Ford or Hillsborough Jeep more so because they're, they're uh, pleased with knowing what they got versus what they think they mm-hmm. were going to get. Yeah, interesting. Well, I would before I would like to get your thoughts on 
electric vehicles. But before we do that, I would like to know if you're seeing any trends in work vehicles, like people used to buy vans, now they're moving to um, to trucks. You know, are you seeing any different trends in the types of vehicles that construction folks are purchasing and using? So we're an abnormal dealer because we do the, the bodies and, and those things. Um, and in terms of the bodies, we've seen a lot more, I guess, advancements into going into an aluminum dump body or more aluminum flatbeds, probably because of the change from Ford with the aluminum, uh, you know, exterior panels on their trucks, which is a big, a big change. And uh, that's worked out well for Ford. I think it'll really work out well in the long run because, you know, a seven, eight-year-old truck up in, in the Northeast, they rust out like crazy. So it'll be really good in the long term for our residual values because it was a lot of times body panels that would rust that would mm-hmm. cause them to to go downhill. And uh, and now with the aluminum, I think we'll see some, some residual values stay up, trade-in values for customers, and the trucks will just be out there longer, which is great. Um, so we've seen... You know, in terms of the manufacturing side of it, we've seen that change to aluminum. We've seen the change towards uh, uh, new powertrains. You know, ten-speed automatics and and other things that have helped for for fuel economy. Um, we've seen some change, I'd say, from slightly less in terms of diesel. You know, as a Ford store, we had the seven-three diesel, which is known as being this bulletproof diesel that you could pretty much just take you know, waste oil from a, a restaurant port into it and it would still run off it. Um, so the biodiesel, you know, is uh, it was good. But then they came out with the uh, 6 liter in 2004 due to a lot of emissions things. There's been some emission changes and that's, those emissions things have made carrying a diesel a higher cost now. Uh, the fuel's more where it used to be less. The general maintenance is more when it used to be less. Mm. And uh, that area has made diesel become more just more costly and the the it used to be around 70,000 miles you would you'd have your turnaround so people could drive them for 200,000 miles and get you know a good a good run out of, run out of them now it has to be purely performance based like if you're towing an excavator with your your truck then you're going to need a diesel most likely uh, and and a lot of people now will go with just a larger gas because the maintenance costs and you know, you don't have to keep it running all the time or, or work it hard to make sure it stays cleaned out. Um, we've seen a lot more movement towards gas in terms of the bigger trucks. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. And so what, what would be the main reason someone would choose a diesel truck now? Uh, towing, you know, uh, low, you know if, you're, if you're carrying a lot of weight around, the, the diesel, really it's people are, you know, low horsepower, high torque. I and see. that torque is what just gives it that 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 power to pull and that's where people are looking for for the for the diesel um but if you don't need that and you're just if you're carrying around a big load of bark mulch you know leaves or uh, other items that aren't drastically heavy or towing a large amount or you're maybe just not going very far or you don't do it often enough um because again with a diesel you want to run it all the time it's funny because the people who beat on their diesel and you know i'm not promoting that in case ford's ever going to listen to this thing <laughs> but uh or or ram uh or the cummins and the ram um but it's it's the people who work the trucks that do the best with them it's the, the person who buys it to carry their their garbage bags from their house to the downtown you know uh dump mm-hmm. that end up with the biggest issues because they you know, we had one customer that bought a diesel and they live up the street from where they work. So they started up in the morning, 
doesn't even get warm, turn it off. And that's not how that new emission system is supposed to work at all. And it creates such a backup of soot and all these other things inside its own system, which is capturing it, which it should, but it's not it's not getting the chance to, to run itself clear ever. So mm. they actually end up with way more issues, dissatisfied in terms of its use. And really it's just because of how they're using it. It's just not meant for that. It's meant for for you know yeah. being driven and in, in use. I, I can I can see that. Do they did you think they wanted the diesel because it sounds better, it looks beefier, manlier, all that? Is that why they would get a diesel and then not use it right? You know, it's uh it sounds better I guess that that diesel noise that everybody's used to now, it's it they're so much quieter now. Hmm. You know, they're not nearly like they used to be. They don't they don't make that noise unless you take the exhaust off of them, then it makes all that noise. Um, or you take all that emission stuff off, which you're not supposed to do. And, uh, uh, but, you know, we see them out in the streets quite a bit with people who do that. Uh, but at first, it's mostly just performance-driven. It's, it's, it's really based off of somebody's uh, use. Now, okay. it's, a, it's about a $10,000 ad to put a diesel on there. So just the, the motor alone puts it into a category where it's like, well, do I want to spend an extra $200 a month on a motor alone? My, my judgment call is always to say it's about $100 for every 5000 you finance. Okay. It might be a little bit less based off a term, but um, you know that's what it, that's what kind of an added is to to put a diesel motor on. Okay. Uh, yeah. Wow. So let's go. Let's go to the extreme from diesel to yeah. electric. You know what is what's happening with electric and how is that changing how a dealer you know does business and service and such. So in terms of. Electric. So we just finished signing up for our program. We just put a twin 80 amp charging unit on, on our building. That's uh, that's a customer facing unit. Uh, we've had one up at a Chrysler store outside for quite some time because they've had the minivan that's uh, all electric there for quite some time as well. I'm in a rural area, so it makes electric a harder sell in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, the issues that I can see right now is it's definitely the hype train right now in terms of excitement over the new product. And, and we've seen this on, doesn't have to be cars, could be anything. Everybody's, oh, that's where everybody's going that way. And I've always felt no matter what it is, I'm always that middle ground person that's thinking, okay, is it really going to be 100% people all going to electric? You know, it, it just doesn't make sense yet. Um, and it doesn't make sense over a five-year time frame unless we can replace our entire electrical grid because if every single car in my town hooked up to the electricity or on a rural street even, uh, it wouldn't produce enough power to, to charge all, the, all of those cars. Uh, and so that's, that's one piece that I can see that doesn't make as much sense. We also live in this rural area where uh, people who are taking longer trips the battery technology isn't quite there yet in terms of people feeling comfortable. They're still going to want to keep at least one, you know, gas vehicle around so they could make their trip to Florida. You know, the snowbirds that are up here, those types of things. But I think electric is cool. I, you know, it definitely is neat. That, when you talk about torque, there is a ton of torque in a, an electric vehicle that you don't lose any of it. Um, it can get right to the, all that power goes straight to the wheel. That's why Tesla's performed well early on and people are like, wow, look at that. You know, it's, it's fast. And so now Ford's making that, that lightning that is a, uh, you know, all electric F-150 that's pretty exciting for us. Um, and, and that's had a, a quite a big following even in our rural area here we have a lot of orders for it um, but again it's it's 
I, I personally, I feel like the hybrid is the way to go because you can get a generator off the back of it. Mm-hmm. So we have some some construction guys here that love the hybrid. It still comes with a 3.5 liter V6 twin turbocharged with the hybrid big battery in it. And they can hook up, a, it's, a, it's a built-in 7.2 kilowatt generator if you order it with that option. Uh, you can plug into the back of it. So if, if they're starting a, a home up on a hill and they don't have electricity there yet, they can they can plug into the back of that thing and make it work. Then on the weekends, they hook up their camper to it, and then they've got a generator for their camper as well. So it's really like the best of both worlds. Yeah, interesting. I, I didn't realize that. So on a lot of construction sites, there may not be power. Especially yet, here, yeah. Um, or power where where you need it, you know, out in the, out in the landscape, you know? Um, so I didn't realize they had. Yeah. And and the all electric version will have that similar style setup as well, but obviously you're depleting your battery. There's no backup source of fuel to, to charge it. So, uh, you know, I just see that hybrid is really a great solution currently, especially in that work truck market, uh, that I think is, is great. Uh, we have some of the Mach-E's, the Mustang Mach-E, which is a, a, a really nice vehicle too. I've driven one. It's great. So in terms of performance, you know, the manufacturers have come a long way. The batteries are great. If people are commuting under 150 miles, maybe even 200 miles a day, any of those cars, they're real for people now. They could, they're very comfortable cars. The technology is great in them. Uh, they, they're, they're beautiful too. They, they look good. You know, they don't look like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to think back those, was it Toyota or Honda that started creating hybrids back in the two thousands and they looked just bubbly and strange and, and whatnot. So, uh, it, by pushing the envelope with some of these new electric cars, uh, there's some neat options out there right now that, that are good. It's just, I don't think it'll be everything. I, in my opinion, it's going to take some time until we could make it everything, uh, until we find a source of electricity that doesn't involve any waste as well, uh, and, and that power can get from that place to ourselves uh, easily, Th- those are the solutions that still need to be worked yeah. out. What, um, what do you think will happen? The you might call them classic cars. So let's just think for let's say in twenty years, maybe eighty percent of new cars are electric. Let's forget it. Let's say it's a hundred percent. At yeah. some point, it'll be a hundred percent. What happens to that? you know, 1967 Ford Mustang or somebody else's classic car, how do they maintain it, use it, fill it up? Do they convert it? What happens? I think it'll still remain the same. I think there'll still be a way to get get that fuel because we've, we've been doing it for so long and they're going to be worth more than, than they are now because they'll be the collector car. They're going to be something special about them. Uh, you'll find the fueling stations will be probably more rare but and maybe more expensive but the type of person that would have that type of a vehicle will be still able to right you know pay for that mhm interesting thought it, it'll be interesting cuz i think you know some of these things where where uh uh dodge is stopping the hellcat you know so the hellcat is a vehicle they're talking about that they're going to stop making so if we look back to the plymouth roadrunner that nobody wanted with a giant wing on the back of it and uh, some of those other classic, you know, cars, the, the powerhouses, and they kind of made a comeback in our generation of, of vehicles. And now they're going to start to go away again as we pursue into electric, where back then it was the fuel uh, going up quite a bit that stopped the production of all of those cars because nobody wanted a eight mile per gallon car. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in 30 years with some of these new muscle cars. I'm, I'm, I'm going to 
wing it and say that I think some of those will be worth something uh, in, in 30 years. Hmm. Yeah. Well, there's a company right here in Traverse City called Haggerty, and it's a you know yeah. a big insurance company that focuses on classic cars, classic boats, and they just became a publicly traded company. So they probably know something about that industry, right? Yeah, yeah, they definitely yeah. do. They, there's probably something happening or going to happen that'll increase yeah. the value of their company over the next 30 years. Just what I was talking about too, right? All those companies getting bought out by bigger and bigger companies. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's an amazing thing. And Haggerty has always been known as the premier for those collector car people. Uh, you know, they, they are very, they've always been very professional and understanding of, of that product. Um, I don't know, you know, how they sold things. If it was just like a, a progressive where it's a non-relationship based, you know, type in your information, or if they had a lot of relationships and, and local people in that area that, that, uh, worked with specific clients for long periods of time. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, cool. Well, um, I've been doing all of the uh, question asking, so I wanted to give you an opportunity if there's anything you think that contractors should know or anybody else as it relates to buying a vehicle, maintaining a vehicle, the future of the tree, how to find a dealer, how to keep a good relationship with your dealer, you know, what kinds of things would you want our listeners to know about? I think it's more so that... um you know, we're not all the same, you know, not all car dealerships are the same. Uh, try to give people the benefit of the doubt when you come in through the door uh, until they prove you otherwise. Uh, that's one of the biggest things that I could, I could say as a, uh, you know, it's, it's tough for me because I'm, I've always had to be the dealer that, that is making up for another dealer's mistakes. You know, it's, uh, every customer comes in with their guard up and it's, how much time do you spend trying to break that guard down? If 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 you kind of know where you want to be at the end of the day for a for a deal, and you go to three or four different places, or you go to two different places, or maybe you just deal with one because you have finally built a relationship that you want and you can feel comfortable with, and you feel happy to support those people. But uh, when you get into that scenario where you've visited four places and they're all telling you you're in this certain same area, it's probably the truth at that point. You know, maybe not if you feel like that one place is wrong, but I've seen it where people will uh, just not listen to what the dealerships are saying because of something they found on the internet. And the internet, Kelly Blue Book hasn't written a check to anybody before, you know, and that's one thing that, you know, maybe now they've changed some process or they've created some verbiage in there that, that allows you to kind of go, maybe they've teamed up with Carvana or, you know, CarMax or one of the big chains to figure out a way to get you to their place. And then they sell the lead to them. Um, the, you know, that's, those are all the tactics that are out there now. So if you can just, you know, if, if you feel comfortable with a place you're doing business, do business with them because it's, it's the easiest way to make sure you're taken care of in the long run. But again, I don't know what it's like to be in a major metropolitan area to deal with what people deal with uh, in those scenarios where they feel as a customer they are just a number. They never talk to certain people. Nobody's real with them, and they just don't know. And, and that's, a, that's a tough spot to be in. <laughs> Shoot, I'd say ask the, ask the person who was working on the other side of the counter, right. how is it there to work go. here? You know, <laughs> just... <laughs> Ask them how it is to work there. If they say it's not a place they want to work, then, you know, if more people say not good things, then you know it's, you know, 
it's not the place to probably do business. Yeah, what an interesting question. Never thought of asking another company employee, hey, what's yeah. it like to work here? It's, it's, you know, it's you're going to get an, great, most great. likely an honest answer out of somebody then, and they're, you're going to realize, <laughs> how, how far do I want to go with this company, you know? So... Right. And you should be probably looking for, it's yeah. friggin' awesome. If they say, oh, it's good. It's okay. That just means yeah. it's not yeah. good enough. <laughs> they should be yeah. saying it's, and it's friggin' and great. It's, you know, it's great. Or they support me and what I'm doing. Or, you know, they'll they'll say, give you some something a little deeper than, it's good. You know, it's you can, you can feel that one. <laughs> right. That means I love five o'clock comes around, especially yeah. on a Friday. Or if they look back at you and say, why are you hiring? Then, you know, then you might... <laughs> You might know that they they want out, right? And, and you know what? If you're and if you own an irrigation or landscaping business, listening to this, that might be a great question to think about. What if one of your customers yeah. asked your employee, "What's it like to work there?" You probably want them to say it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's a hundred percent. Yeah, great. Well, that's a good. I think that's a good way to wrap Sounds it good. up, Dennis. It's a great final final note because I think we talked a lot about you know this just being people at the end of the day, people and uh, relationships. So. Appreciate all the information you're willing to share. Good luck with uh, working through the the uh, the new change. In yeah, the I appreciate that, and I hope I wasn't too painful for uh, for people to, that have to listen. Because again, this is the first time I've ever tried to put something together like this or, or go through it. So, so hopefully it's okay. Yeah, and if you are in New England, probably from Boston, you know, yeah. into Vermont and into New Hampshire and Maine, check out Hillsboro. Ford. Hills, yeah, Hillsborough Ford or Hillsborough Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. So either one of them, awesome. we're, we're more than happy to help you out. And if you ever uh, have any questions or if you just have a question in your purchasing process and you just need help, uh, feel free to email me. It's DennisJR at HillsboroughFord.com and I'm more than happy to help. Excellent. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dennis. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you.